You're listening to the Dollop, a bi-weekly American history podcast with me, Dave Anthony. Each week I read a story to my friend, Gareth Reynolds, who has no idea what the fuck is going on right now. And he's asleep. <laughs> God, do you want to hit a dude? I'll do one bottle. People say this is funny? Not Gary Gareth. Dave, okay. Someone or something is tickling people. Is it for fun? And this is not going to become the Tickling Podcast. Okay. You are Queen Fakey of Made Up Town. All hail Queen Shit of Liesville. A bunch of religious virgins go to mingle. And do what? Pray. Hi, Gary. No. Nicely done, my friend. No. up the energy you know what I mean? no it's just I mean, insane someone, it's, it's an intro to a show someone has to pick up the energy what's happening what are you doing dave 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 yeah what's up come on man what are we doing i'm gonna need you to focus or something something's happened what do you mean now you just now you're angry about something and nothing changed i'm not angry about anything all right why don't you get off my dick? January wait, 27th, wait, wait, no, 1778. No I, have, no, I have dates. I have some dates. Sorry. July 11th, this Saturday, I'll be with Will Anderson well, at NerdMelt. This, this is going up next week, so no, you won't. Oh, fuck. This is the small up, huh? No, this is, this is for... What day is it? Tuesday. Right, so when do we put them up? Sat- oh, is it Sunday? All right. Keep going. You do the show with Will on Saturday, <laughs> yeah. and then this goes up on Saturday. We'll have another date. Uh, July 20th, I'll be at Hot Tub. <laughs> now go ahead. <laughs> I made this weird. I agree. I agree. I've ruined the start of this one. Hot Tub, Joel Mendelflarn. <laughs> <laughs> a little private joke for Joel. <laughs> well, and now it's just January 27, 1778. I mean, Apologies. It's won't happen lost. again. It's won't happen flavor. again. Won't happen again. Won't happen again. The Continental Army first occupied West Point, New York, on that date. And uh, that is where the oldest continuously operated army post in the United States is. Okay. The United States Military Academy at West Point stands atop the sea cliffs on the Hudson River, 40 miles north of New York City. George Washington and Thomas Jefferson recognized the need for a place to train young men who could defend the nation against Britain <laughs> and Republican France. I'm, I'm nervous. 1700s. Already nervous. What? Already nervous. Why? Just because I feel like we're going to hear some fucked up shit about West Point. How could you think that? Because this is how this is how it started. Well, this is just a nice, positive story about nope. a military. No, nope. you're not recruiting. You're maybe a liar. It's just about a bunch of boys. You, you maybe, are, maybe it's a story. You're a liar. Five boys. You're a liar. Who came together through hardship. And through the academy at West Point, learned how to be men and became better people. No. And helped to lead our country. No. That's a different podcast you're describing. You don't know that. Yeah, I do. Continue. When it first opens, it opened its doors in 1802, West Point was nothing more than a few ramshackle buildings with 10 cadets taught by three teachers. Students were admitted at any point during the year, and admission standards were, quote, laughable. Okay. So you and I could have been in West Point? Yep. We just knew a guy. (laughs) Yeah. Just like Abbott and Costello. Following the disastrous war of 1812 against the British, in which a largely untrained American army suffered a string of defeats against the British, 
the British actually ate a meal at the White House after capturing Washington, D.C. Just to be pricks? Just to want, yeah, what, what do you, yeah. Fuck you. How about some tea? They yeah. Said, and they sat down. Right. Hey, now, what would you like? Some crumpets? Yeah. <laughs> it was a lot like that. Yeah. You know, I think we should paint this thing blue. Hey, W House. Fuck him. Fuck off, America. Fuck you. Pricks, wankers. Congress did, and then we showed them, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Well, I'm sort of them, too, but yeah, no, yeah, no, no, no. yeah, yeah, fuck them. Congress decided to increase funding. Alden Partridge became superintendent at West Point and quickly set about transforming the Army recruits. He drew up. I should make sure this is recording. Oh, that's a good idea. Yep, still recording. I didn't have it on the thing. Now I got it on the thing. We're all good. Okay. <laughs> Can't wait to hear your complaints about the sound. <laughs> Uh, so he became, you know, he started setting shit up. He, he started uh, kicking ass, taking names. Yeah. He drew up regulations for cadets, created 16 hour days full of drills and study and adopted a gray cadet uniform. Okay. A lot of people are like gray, you know, blah, blah, blah. But the reason that gray was the uniform is because it was the cheapest fabric. Let's just be honest. Oh, that's why? That's why. The, yeah, that's but why. But he was selling was it like, look at this lovely design. That's why all the, ar- the, what, the, all the army, whenever they gray. Gray's cheap. Okay. So let's not act like it's a gray color. Okay. Well, it is, people, a, it is a gray. People love gray. It is a gray color. What? But, but this is, that's the whole idea. Students now followed an academic year rather than arriving whenever it pleased them. Partridge also developed standards for admission, forbidding 12-year-old boys, married men, the physically disabled, and amputees who were previously admitted as cadets. I'm sorry, specifically 12-year-old boys? Uh, like 11-year-olds uh, could come in and 13-year-olds, but I it was like 12 was, a week. I think it was anything, anybody under 12. 12 a week. What are you, eight? Get in here. It's a bridge age. It is a bridge age. It's a t- 10 to 12 count. 11's nothing. Uh, I love amputees. Hello, I'd like to join the army. <laughs> well, I've only got one. <laughs> but it's go- as good as two. Call me Captain Hops. They call me Punter. How are you? In 1817, clapping is going to be my biggest issue here, sir. Here's me clapping. (laughs) All right. That's it. (laughs) I can point, though. I can point like a motherfucker. I'm a pointing assassin. Watch this. Look at that. And charge. See what I mean? Ah, And then the two armors will clap. And then I fall over because I only have the one thing. Yes. And also my legs are fake. Now, where do I sign up? Pointing. (laughs) In 1817, Partridge was dismissed. After selling Academy Wood for profit and appointing a relative to a high post. So, <laughs> so he's just kind of like, he's kind of just real shady. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, what's going on with those wood? Yeah. He's like, no, only the best. By the way, this is my brother. He's in charge. <laughs> I'm also selling two by fours in the parking lot. He just rolls up to Home Depot with a <laughs> trunk full of two-by-fours. How are you? I'm leading America's future army. Now, who wants to buy some stained wood? This is my brother. He's in charge of wood. <laughs> he has no arms or legs. Partridge refused to relinquish command. Well, that, I didn't realize that was an option. You're fired. No, I'm not. Okay. <laughs> this is going unexpectedly. Want to buy some wood? You're... <laughs> He was subsequently tried uh, by court-martial on numerous charges of neglect of duty and insubordination. Yeah, insubordination. He's not leaving. You can't. You're fired. No, I'm not. Okay, we're going to do this again. What is he doing? How does he do that? 
In November 1817, he was sentenced to be cashiered, which basically is... Uh, yeah, I you believe, work at a grocery store. Yeah, you, gotta, you have to be a cashier. Yeah, well, it's better than bagging. If you're like a, if you're like a, a ranked gentleman, it's a, you, they take away your rank oh, okay. and smash your sword in front of you and shit like that. Jesus. Uh, so the President of the United States intervened, and the punishment was remitted. Oh, man, he's unfireable. Yeah. Alan Partridge then resigned. Taking his place was a superintendent at the military academy, uh, Colonel Sylvanus Thayer, a former student. Known as the father of West Point, Thayer revolutionized... But let's be honest, the other guy sounds like the father of West Point. Yeah. But, all right. I mean, uh, yeah. He looks, I mean, he's kind of the Pete Rose of West Point. He is the Pete You know what I mean? Yeah, he sold the little wood. He fucking hooked his brother up. But come on now. You're wearing gray, aren't you? <laughs> you're only sleeping eight hours a day, right? You fucking bitches. Thayer revolutionized the economy with his strict rules. Students at West Point weren't allowed to leave campus, cook in their dorms, or duel. <laughs> Man, I'll tell you. The more I hear about dueling, the more I miss those times. Right? Like, you know, it was just it's a way more exciting way to live life. Oh, I agree. Uh, a diet of beef, bread, and water prepared his young students for military rations. All right, boys, you're going to start eating like shit now. All right. Everyone ready to get really clogged up? I get that you're growing and everything, but let's withhold stuff you need. We're going to be fighting a war on vegetables inside of these camps. His academy was a metocracy. Admission and graduation were not about whether you were rich or poor, connected or unconnected, but whether you were good. All right. This was a new idea around this time. That's interesting that that's a new idea. It is, yeah. Thayer made his nephew sign a letter of resignation, which he kept in case he broke the rules. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of fucked up. It's totally fucked up. His nephew's like, wait, why? What's happening? Mostly, Thayer wanted West Point to become a respected place of learning. By 1826, the academy had 36 men serving as faculty and staff with four official departments, mathematics, engineering, natural philosophy, and military tactics. Instruction was also provided in French, Drawing, law, history, and chemistry. Thayer's learning Thayer's system was based on sections where cadets would be promoted to a more difficult class or demoted to a lower class, depending on their performance. Okay. So Cadet, he really just did what made sense. He was just logical. Yeah, he just made it. He was like, make them learn a bunch. Yeah, he was like, you can't come in whenever you want, and yeah. there's actually going to be classes. Yeah, and if you're a shithead, you're out of here. Just yeah. ask that fucking nephew of mine. Oh, that fucking... God, fuck up. He's just on thin ice, isn't he? Look at him. Look at this letter I got. Oh, motherfucker, I swear to God. One misstep, I'm there. Cadets were taught using a recital method where they were required to demonstrate knowledge of concepts or formulas in front of their classmates and instructor each day without the help of texts or notes. Cadets were awarded a grade ranging from 3.0, excellent, to 0.0, complete failure. Mm-hmm. A grade Wait, two- but he did, did he invent the that's the like the GPA, right? I don't right? know if he invented it, okay. but maybe. Yeah, I think he might have. <clears throat> okay. A grade, yeah, we'll get there. A grade of 2.0 was considered barely passing. Each week the grades were tallied up and cadets were either promoted or demoted to more or less challenging classes. The system of points also took into account dis- disciplinary mer- demerits for such things as uncleanliness, tobacco use, or gambling. This grueling system was geared towards academic excellence and was even the model which colleges such as Harvard emulated throughout the 19th century. So I guess he did. Yeah. Wow. 
The first half of West Point's existence did not witness the hazing rituals or class segregations which prevailed later on. Uh-oh. Instead, an unwritten code of gentlemanly honor persisted. When an issue arose or they were questioned, they would often speak truthfully. Dueling had been outlawed by the army, but any slight against a man by another was keenly felt at West Point. Many cadets kept pistols, swords, and knives concealed in their trunks. For like in their rooms in case they were required. <laughs> Wait, so they're like there's like sneak duels? Yeah. They have like secret duels? Yeah. Oh man. Duels just got a whole lot spicier. It's like it's like when you're not supposed to leave your high school campus. Yeah. And then you leave and go to lunch. Yeah. Like Subway. Yeah. Yeah. Ex- it's like that. Except, except, except it's dueling. Except with <laughs> with death with death circling. <laughs> Alright, you ready to go outside and duel, motherfucker? Yeah, I'm ready to fucking duel. I'm fucking hey. Swords, because we got to keep it quiet. Okay, all right. Cool. <laughs> From the Boston Gazette, we are informed by the North New York American that a duel was fought Friday morning at Hoboken between two cadets from West Point in which one of them was badly wounded. His name, we understand, is Maurice, a native of Virginia. The editor adds, both parties, if the sufferer survives, we presume will be dismissed from the academy. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Worth it! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he woke up out of the coma. Well, let him know he's dismissed. <laughs> and fired. <laughs> Thayer had the old ramshackle buildings of the ref- revolutionary vintage replaced with two new barracks, a north and south barracks, a mess hall, an ac- academic building, and a number of new quarters for the staff. The barracks were laid out in several stories with rooms running off quarters. Thayer built an academic institution with engineering at its core. He knew that to build a strong nation required engineers. The graduates of West Point would eventually build the infrastructure of the industrial USA, its railways, bridges, canals, and borders. Thayer had done a tour of Europe and seen that science and engineering built strong nations. Maybe the Republicans should take that tour. He was a fervent admirer of Napoleon Bonaparte, whom he had hoped to meet on his trip in 1815. Man. That's an interesting get. Yeah. I, that's a great sit down. Yeah. But he, it does sound like, I mean, all the stuff you're talking about is stuff that, like, would be great to have somebody believe today in our government. Oh, that'd be awesome. That'd be great. To have a president who is just like, we need to teach people shit. Hey, let's teach people shit and fix the bridges. Hmm. I don't Ooh, like the sound of it. I Let, like bridges that fall down. Let's go to war. War? No bridges. Yeah. Yeah, war! <laughs> Thayer, Fuck you, bridges! Fuck you, science and bridges! <laughs> that, should be the, that should be the Republicans. Uh, the Republicans should now fight a war in the states on bridges. Just, like, <laughs> start actively trying to make the bridges fall apart faster. Fixing bridges costs money, so fuck you! <laughs> fuck you, bridges! Thayer's rigorous daily schedule encouraged a monastic-like discipline and succeeded in turning the academy from a chaotic institution to a place of order and learning. Yet, as diligent and as honorable as they were, these young men, with the same inclinations and passions as any young men... Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. Yeah. Here we go. The coaster's starting to go down. They just had fewer opportunities to exercise them. When these passions were exercised, they often erupted violently. In 1825, the cadets were allowed to drink on two holidays, the 4th of July and Christmas. I mean, they, they, those nights have to be fucking crazy. Well, yeah. 
How could they not be? I mean, you're drinking. Have you ever been to an office party? Yeah, right. Yeah. Now imagine never being able to drink outside of the office and having an office party. (laughs) The 4th of July celebration got completely out of hand when half-naked students led a, quote, snake dance and hoisted the school's commandant, William Worth, on their shoulders. The result of this incident was that in 1826, the cadets were informed that their Christmas would be alcohol-free. Arrests and expulsions faced those who broke the rules. A few of the cadets took Thayer's new rules as a challenge and set upon a personal mission to make Christmas the biggest party West Point had ever seen. (laughs) Snap! This is exciting. Thayer's ban on alcohol didn't extend past the boundaries of the academy, and various drinking establishments existed outside of West Point. Mm. There were two taverns located just outside the walls of the academy. The most popular of these, Benny Haven's Tavern, is still immortalized in a mural on the mess hall's wall. Benny Haven's had served as first lieutenant in the War of 1812, occupied a one-story cottage a short distance west of the old cadet hospital. At first, Benny sold only ale, cider, and buckwheat cakes. Oh, man, I love a good buckwheat cake. That's just, hey, what do you got here? <laughs> we got ale, we got cider, and we got buckwheat cakes. I'll have a cider and a buckwheat cake. I'll have an ale, too. <laughs> uh, he subsequently began dispensing a more potent beverage. Oh, boy. As a result, in 1832, he was expelled from the military reservation. Shortly after his expulsion, Benny Havens opened a tavern on the river's edge below the cliffs of Highland Falls. Okay. Still sticking close. Sure, yeah. Oh, I'll get off the reservation. Yeah, but I'll be right down the street. Benny Havens' tavern was the only one that allowed the bartering of shoes and blankets for liquor. God damn it. This is a better time. (laughs) I literally just dropped off like three pairs of shoes to the Salvation Army a couple days ago. Yeah, you could have gotten some beers. I could have gone down to the shortstop and gotten shit canned. Yeah. Six shoes. What did that get me? A whole (laughs) night of drinking, son. (laughs) Fuck yeah. (laughs) Unlimited pool and shots for those converse you just brought in. Um, But they would not take uh, uniforms from the school. Okay. All right, we got our limits, gents. Right. Nothing I can do with uniforms. (laughs) Okay. Uh, wish you guys had some blankets. I really do. Oh, blankets or shoes. Man, you got any Adidas? I know they haven't been invented yet, but you got Adidas? Yeah, God, I would love those. Because the men, Adidas is what they're actually called, which I just can't. No. What? Who's saying that? Because it's from Germany. It's Adidas. Yeah, you know, listen, it's, I mean, I'm sure Audi's pronounced a little differently, but come on. I know. I'm I'm just doing what I'm told. All right. Because the men at West Point had no money, the tavern would usually allow them credit for a year at a time. Edgar Allan Poe spent the majority of his time at West Point at Benny Haven, and his continued absences eventually led to his dismissal after one year. Yeah, but what did he ever do? He, nothing. Yeah, Total exactly. loser. Yeah. The taverns were technically illegal to visit, but as long as a cadet wasn't caught or a commanding officer turned a blind eye, they remained an essential place to cool off with friends, enjoy a warm flapjack, and drink up. Get a buckwheat cake and some cider. Mmm, girl. Maybe. Mm, girl. Pay two shoes and a blanket for the night. Girl. I mean, this. now you're my girl. I've had a lot of cider. <laughs> you you talk- look like a girl. That's what I'm saying. He's talking to the blanket with shoes inside of it. <laughs> it's really Before- fucked up. Before 1826, another tavern existed on the property directly behind West Point. North's Tavern, as it was called, was so close to the academy that it often enticed cadets. Thayer dealt with this temptation by purchasing the property 
and turning the tavern into a hospital. What a fucking asshole. Yeah. That's, Jeff- <laughs> that's, that's quite a downgrade. Yeah. Jefferson Davis, who would go on to be the future president of the Confederate States during the Civil War. Okay. Had a history of bad behavior while drunk. He was the first in to be arrested for going to Benny Haven. Another time, Davis was reportedly so drunk that he fell down a 60-foot ravine while bolting from the tavern because a professor had come in. (laughs) (laughs) In retrospect, (laughs) 60 feet? His friend shouted down to him to respond if he wasn't dead. Jefferson wanted to laugh at the ridiculous question, but he was in so much pain, all he could do was raise one bloody hand to show that he was still alive. Oh, my God. Jesus. I mean, that's quite a trade-off for not getting caught drinking. You have one bloody arm that's working. He was hospitalized for four months. Oh, my God. It's really like Will Ferrell and Austin Powers. (laughs) Holy shit. Four months. Worth it. Because then obviously you're caught too. It's yeah. not like they're like, no, well, none why that, did he, what none was, of that worked out. What was he doing? None of that he was out. hang gliding and forgot the equipment. <laughs> Cider gliding. Yeah. <laughs> when a group of Dave, Jefferson Davis's friends suggested they flout the superintendent's new law and throw a Christmas Eve rager the night of December 24th, 1826, Davis was on board. Oh, boy. Their choice of holiday beverage for the party was the notorious eggnog. Oh, God. Nowadays, eggnog isn't necessarily synonymous with alcohol. In the 18th and 19th century, however, eggnog was more often than not alcoholic. I think that's true today. Right? <laughs> yeah, maybe. But some people just drink the eggnog. Those people are serial killers. Mm, I want an egg drink. Mm, I want an egg drink with no real benefit, buzzwise. Oh, God, I am full. Yeah. I've had a thimble. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, <clears throat> so it was mostly alcoholic, a descendant of a widely drunk hot milk punch known as a posse, which contained curdled wine or ale. Yeah. So now a that... hot milk punch uh, I... that contained curdled wine or ale. I think that just these last three sentences you've said have ended my time with eggnog for good. Yeah. Just actually now thinking about what it is, I think it's over with me and eggnog. Yeah, it's definitely. And not that I was a big, you know, not that I was a nogger. You're a nogger. Uh, You know, recovering. The number of small dairy farms in colonial America in the 19th century made milk, cream, and eggnog more accessible to the American public. Nog is essentially a mixture of four items found on any colonial farm. Chickens, cows, sugar, and booze. <laughs> Great, because chickens make eggs. Who, who, cows make milk, yeah. and then sugar and booze. Who, but who's, how did it start? Who was the first lunatic who was like, oh. I don't know, I got a feeling. Let's put this all in a cup. You know what I just did? Something pretty fantastic. Look, Sopretric. Okay. I know, listen to me, it sounds crazy, but I took the cow milk and I put an egg in it, and now let's get drunk with it. Hey, everybody, raise your bread drinks! (laughs) Vomiting oddly. The type and taste of nog could be hidden with spices. It's terrible, let's put some cinnamon in it. Okay, you know what'll solve this is a little kick. Nutmeg! (laughs) I think we're onto something here. Oh, my God, I put four eggs. (laughs) Some milk and sugar and rum in here. Yuck! <laughs> let's put it in. A, let's put it on a table in the sun and drink from it all day. 
It's called Noggy. Come on. Room temperature or hotter? It's Noggy. <laughs> During the height of the triangle trade, which is... Um, when the people traded triangles. Sugar, slaves, and rum. Oh, God. The triangle trade. Right. I will trade you my rum for his slave, and he'll trade you... <laughs> no, I'll trade you some sugar. You trade your slave to Barry. Barry will trade the rum to you, and then you trade it to me. <laughs> Seems pretty straightforward and morally acceptable. Holy fuck, it's a triangle! Uh, so rum was vi- widely available. As such, a, uh, <clears throat> a widely available drink, eggnog became a very popular beverage with Americans. George Washington even had a famous recipe for the drink that included rum, sherry, brandy, and whiskey for an extra kick. No kind of liquor was specified. The rule was the more liquor, the merrier. Oh, boy. Several nights before Christmas, three cadets, Center, Robertson, Burnley, crossed the Hudson River to Martin's Tavern Tavern to get as much whiskey as they could buy with the money collected from the North Barracks. Jefferson Davis, Stalker, Fairley, and Guillaume went to Benny Havens, bribing a guard with 35 cents to borrow a boat and cross the river. This is just a different time. That's just that's just a bad West Point guard. <laughs> yeah, 35 cents. I mean, <clears throat> who knows what it is back then, They're really. 10 bucks, come on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah okay. They came back with uh, three to four flagons of liquor. So that's like a pitcher. Okay. Mutton was smuggled in from Benny Havens, should anyone need something to eat. Jesus Christ. So we're basically talking about a mutton and nog party? Yeah. This is this will get good. stinky. It's going to go good. Hatfuls of eggs and gallons of fresh milk were purchased from farmers close to the academy. Mutton, pork, and turkey from Benny's, which they plan to heat over their fireplaces in their rooms. <laughs> just, it sounds, it does mm. not sound fun. I mean, I mm. know they want to get shit faced and have a good time, but mm. uh. fresh room mutton. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, oh. oh, got that. Freshly cooked mutton, some hot eggs and rum. Mm. Mm. Ho, ho, ho. They stole sugar, bread, butter condiments from the kitchen. The cinnamon and nutmeg were also provided by Benny Havens. The containers of alcohol and food were then stored among the cadets' private possessions, hidden until the night of Christmas. Oh, God. <clears throat> this, oh, man. What is- <laughs> Thayer was strict but not stupid. Cadets had smuggled alcohol into the academy before, and those situations had been dealt with on an individual basis. He assumed that... With the holidays, there would be similar incidents. In fact, he discussed such a possibility with colleagues at a small party the night before. But there took nothing more than standard precautions, assigning two officers, Captain Ethan Allen Hitchcock, a faculty member in military tactics, and Lieutenant William A. Thornton, to monitor the North Barracks. He also assigned cadets in charge of every floor in the barracks, holding them responsible if anything went wrong. Oh, boy. Well, I have a feeling things are going to go wrong. No. Yeah. Lieutenant Eaton was on watch in the guardroom on Christmas Eve. In the guardroom was a large drum and a military fife, which were used in the morning and night to signal the beginning and end of the day. Each morning, the drummer would strap on the drum and stand between the north and south barracks. At the first sight of the sun, he would beat the call to summon the cadets from the barracks for roll call. A drum would also signify breakfast and the start of classes. At 10 p.m. on December 24th, he sounded the nightly call for all cadets to be in their rooms. In room 28 of the North Barracks, however, cadets Swords, Berrien, 
Sullivan, Skipwith, Stalker, and Billy Murdoch were mixing Tennessee-style eggnog in wooden buckets. Jesus. So this this is Christmas Eve they're doing this yeah. shit. Yeah. Okay. As long as they're not making nog at 24 hours right. in advance. No, it's they're, they're nogging it now. Yeah, okay. You want the nog nice and sour. Fresh nog. Yeah. In room five, well, I mean, the milk has been sitting around for a while. I Well, look, by no means is this acceptable to digest. <laughs> I'm not suggesting that at all. In room five, one level down and directly across from Hitchcock's room, Jefferson Davis, Guillaume, Bomford, Cobb, and Billy Fitzgerald, a top five student, was Billy, uh-huh. uh, were also drinking eggnog. Fairly suddenly decided to make another trip to a local tavern as he was afraid that the supply would run low. Jesus. Hitchcock, or old Hitch as the cadets called him, walked the halls until 3 a.m. when he went to bed, unaware of the parties across the hall and on the level above him. So how, how, are, they, how are they not making... How is he not aware? They're just super... They're just not hearing him. They're just not loud. So just, just quiet just as fuck. Getting, a quiet party. Quietly getting drunk. Wow. That's got to be really... That's got to be an interesting way to party. Yeah. Whisper party. With eggnog? Yeah, with blow off a lot of steam by being like, I'm the best time right now. Oh my God, this thing is so thick. thick. This is a fucking rager. (laughs) I feel alive. At 4 a.m., Hitchcock awoke to the sound of noisy cadets a few floors above him. (laughs) Oh, dear. It's happening. Going up one story to room 28, he knocked on the door, which opened to reveal several men in a room smelling of liquor and a recently smothered fire, which was clearly being used to reheat food. Although he did not see any liquor, he did see human-like shapes under a blanket. He ordered the two men under the blanket to come out, which they did sheepishly. He then ordered several men to go back to their rooms. It then became apparent that there was another cadet under the blanket. Hitchcock ordered him to stand up. The figure did, but did not remove the blanket, rising as a ghost-like figure. Boo! Uncover yourself, sir, Hitchcock shouted. The shrouded figure tried to edge its way out of the room. (laughs) He thinks it's a cloak of invisibility. <laughs> you can't see me when I'm under the sheets. He's best. talking to someone else. This is the best guy ever. <laughs> I'm going away. This never happened. Uncover yourself, sir, Hitchcock shouted. Oh, wait, I already did that. Hitchcock yanked the cover from the man to reveal a cadet in uniform, but still with a cap held in front of his face to hide his identity. <laughs> this guy... <laughs> This is like pixelations before the TV was invented. (laughs) Hitchcock ordered the cadet to show his face several times, but the cadet just stood there, cap in front of his face. This guy's a legend. (laughs) This is like total legend. This is like the unfireable guy. (laughs) Several other cadets looked on in stunned silence. She's like, Jesus Christ, what's he doing? Hitchcock waited a full 15 seconds after his last command. Sir! Do not compel me to use violence with a gentleman, he said. The figure tried for the door, but again, Hitchcock blocked his path. (laughs) Finally, Hitchcock snapped the cap away from the figure to reveal the face of George Skepwith. Hitchcock ordered him to his room and then told the cadets they were under arrest and ordered them to go to bed. The captain left the room at 4.15 a.m. and returned to his room to sleep. After Hitchcock left... Billy Murdoch was furious that Hitchcock had used force on a Skepwith, slighting his honor. Oh, boy. He said to Fitzgerald and Stalker, who had moved up from room five, 
Get your bayonets, boys, and pistols if you have them. Whoa. Before this night is over, Hitchcock will be dead. Whoa, 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 okay, whoa. All right, now hold on a second the party's now. getting started. Whoa, no, the party's over. The party's getting started. The party's over. We're out of Nog, we're all drunk. Uh, just getting going. I don't think it's time to kill a man. I don't disagree, I disagree. <laughs> he, he forcefully removed... Skips to hat. I wonder why they don't want them drinking booze. Yeah, they're not good at it. (laughs) Yeah. A man's going to die. Shortly after arriving back in his room, Hitchcock heard footsteps coming down the hall. The feet stopped in front of his door, and he heard whispers. After a pause, the door reverberated with three solid blows made from a pistol butt or club. Jesus Christ. Are they going to kill him? The feet ran away as Hitchcock opened his door. Down the corridor, he saw a figure call, Hally ho, Hitch, before fading away. Whoa, okay. <laughs> wow. We've got a couple MVPs working in this one. <laughs> if only that was Skip, that guy would be the best. <laughs> Hally ho, where's that guy? Uh, Hitchcock heard doors slamming above and more footsteps and the occasional curse. Clearly, shit was about to get real. He went up to the third floor in search of Thornton. So Thornton is the other guy. Thornton is supposed to be on the right. Okay, Uh, he's on. He's on Hitchcock's side. Thornton. Thornton. Yeah, he's on. They're the two guys that are supposed to be keeping charge. Right. And then so far, not going well. Not going well. Yeah. In the corridor, he came across a stalker carrying a stick of wood and reeling with drunkenness. Hitchcock ordered him to stop, but Stalker just stood there watching him. Going, going on necessary business, Captain, oh, no. replied Stalker before staggering down the hall again. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> he stopped to lean against the wall and retched, but oh. did not vomit. Oh. Hitchcock continued on and went to the second floor. <laughs> He's like, all right, I'm going to okay. put a pin well, that, in this. That guy's, uh, that guy's I'll, good. I'll be back when you're done retching like a sick bird. <laughs> yeah. By the way, the smell of the wretch, not good. Not good. It's mutton and nog. Oh, God. Good God. Jefferson Davis heard Hitchcock's steps from room 11, where the another party was going on, and saw him moving towards room 5. Having heard their collective move of defiance against authority while having a drink in room 5 earlier that evening, Davis decided to save Hitchcock. Hitchcock had pre- previously spoken highly of Davis at a court-martial. As Hitchcock entered room five to be confronted by a party even bigger than room 28, Davis burst in and shouted, Put away the grog, boys! Captain Hitchcock's coming! Only to realize Hitchcock was already there. Wait, sorry. So so Hitchcock goes into the room. So Davis heard they were, gonna, they were threatening to kill Hitchcock. Right. So he saw him walking that way, and then he ran down to the room and burst in and yelled... Everybody watch out. Hitchcock coming, but Hitchcock was already there. But it was just a straight-up miscommunication. That wasn't like a tactic or anything. He w- he just was like going to save him, but he's already in the room. Yeah. Okay, interesting. So Hitchcock was like, oh, God. Okay, you're not helping. Uh, thanks for all the help, asshole. Davis and others were placed under arrest and ordered to their rooms. Hitchcock read the group the Riot Act, which is the thing, which declares that any group of 12 or more people are unlawfully assembled. Okay. And open to punitive action right, right? So, so he read them the actual right so he's right so he the real they, riot act. they are drunk with swords and pistols yeah. and he's, he's uh, reading a law he's reading a law to them i'm sure that'll work yeah yeah for well, sure has it not worked well yeah it's a straightforward thing yeah no better way to calm him down than tell them to stop <laughs> well it'll work davis returned to his room hitchcock questioned the occupant about liquor then hitchcock ordered severe the cadet responsible for the room to open trunks 
Severe refused, instead simply lying down against a wall. Okay. <laughs> interesting. Interesting way to take the note. Uh, no. Sleep. Open these trunks. Uh, I just sleep here against this. I'm sure of how to handle the situation. Hitchcock left. It was now 4.50 p.m. A.M., sorry. 4.50. 458. It's, it's, it's not, I mean, at this point, it's kind of a race against time. It's just kind of like, wait a couple more hours and the day's going to start. And, yeah, it's you know, like a vampire movie. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's daylight, exactly. Three cadets were discovered uh, by cadet James G. Overton, a relief sentinel and not involved in the parties. And he questioned them about their actions. They gave a drunken explanation about needing drums and a fife. We've actually, when we were trying to help because we had to get the fife. It was getting... And a drum. What? It go. I'm talking more. No, 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 no. What we're trying to stop helping me. No, we're trying to. We're trying to. We're saying is, how's everyone gonna wake up out of the fucking drum? We just want to be helpful. Bro, you're fucking this up. He knows we're drunk now. The other officers, given the duty of keeping an eye on the cadets, which oh sorry, that's Thornton, awoke around this time. Uh, so Thornton rose and began wandering through the corridors, where oh, he boy. found two cadets with ruffled and unbuttoned shirts. Can you imagine him just going out for like his morning, like, all right, make sure everything's tip top. Uh, hello, gentlemen. Hello, hi guys. Mm. How are you? What's yes, going on? How are you? <laughs> oh, oh dear, oh, dear. This is my chest. Excuse me. This is my chest. <laughs> okay. It's open. Um. Have you seen Barry? He's gone. Uh, I'm going to come right back. Good morning. Okay, goodbye for now. One of these two uh, <clears throat> cadets was Fitzgerald, the top five. Uh-huh. Only at this time, he was a lot less than the top five because he was wielding a curved sword. Sure. Thornton placed him... Does that mean penis? Uh, yeah. Okay. Thornton placed them under arrest and told them to return to their rooms. He asked Fitzgerald for the weapon, but Fitzgerald refused, mm-hmm. screaming at Thornton maniacally. <laughs> Dude, I, okay. This <laughs> has to be fucking terrifying. Give yeah. me your sword, soldier. <laughs> <laughs> wait. Wait. <laughs> so... <laughs> He's literally, like, probably expecting everything to be cool. Yeah. Then he's walking the grounds, and these guys who are, like, being trained to be the best, you know, yeah, the best soldiers. young fighters, in the yeah. best soldiers in the world, uh, are all fucking shit-canned yeah. in just varying scales of, like, too drunk to stand to, like, maybe going to kill him. <laughs> That's pretty much it. And he's alone just trying to walk the grounds. I mean, it's almost like the Night of the Living Dead. It feels yeah. like a zombie movie where you're like, all righty. It's not good. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Fitzgerald then struck the floor three times with his sword and walked off to room 29. Loving how he's handling it. <laughs> loving, loving the move. Just then, Thornton heard the sound of a drum and fife outside. Oh, good morning. The men were cheering the musicians who had stolen the instruments from Eaton's guard room. They (laughs) they got so drunk, they stopped caring about being caught. (laughs) Totally. Like, they, it probably started out as like a let's sneak it and we'll be hung over. And now they're literally, they've stolen shit and they're laughing and Thornton's there. (laughs) Thornton went down. Uh, stairs to put an end to the terrible music, but never made it as he was struck by Cadet Roberts with a piece of firewood and knocked unconscious. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> what? 
This is not good. Taking care of business. Listen, did uh, did he read the riot act properly? Hallways were now complete chaos. <laughs> Men ran from room to room, waving swords and muskets. Ye- yells echoed the hallways. Firewood was thrown about, crashing into walls and windows. An occasional shot was fired. A cadet opened a window for fresh air, only to vomit and crash unconscious, passing out in his own filth. Oh, wait. So he he barfed out the window and then fell out the window onto his barf? Yeah. It's just, just a landing spot. <laughs> Meanwhile, I Imagine, I just, <clears throat> I honestly, I could, picturing this is insane. Yeah. Okay. All right. Meanwhile, at 5 a.m., Cadet Guion got a pistol from the South Barracks and, with the intent of killing Hitchcock. Jesus Christ. This is insane. Yeah. Okay. okay. At the same time, Hitchcock was in his room. I mean, they got worried. so drunk, they wanted to kill everyone. Yeah. Like, anyone above them, they now want to kill. Yeah, it's Lord of the Flies. Okay, good. Uh, uh, so Hitchcock was in his room at this point, worried that blood would be spilled. Suddenly, there were violent blows on his door. Firewood was being heaved at the door like a battering ram. Guion smashed at the door, which was very close to splintering. Impatient, he pulled out his pistol and aimed at the door. The crowd of men around him fell silent as he pulled the trigger. Cadet Thompson accidentally bumped him, causing the shot to hit the side of the door. Stones were now being thrown at the barrack windows from outside, including Hitchcock's. Hitchcock, so they're just breaking all the windows. Yeah, no. He, if, if you're Hitchcock, you're like, well, this is not good. This is not good. I should have put three guys on guard. Hitchcock burst out of his room, and the startled cadets retreated. In the corridor, Hitchcock saw men smashing windows with clubs. Go to your room, he ordered. No, some of the men, no. some of the men did, but most did not. Hitchcock, abandon that philosophy. <laughs> if anything, it's now. This is what you do now. This is the move. You pretend you got drunk too, and you also want to kill the people on your staff. <laughs> Hitchcock then heard the morning bugle call, and thinking this meant it was daylight, he was relieved. Yeah, but what an idiot! It was not. It was a false morning bugle call. What, what, <laughs> so it, what does he think bugle? of you? The guy just plowed. Yeah, but also, what does he think? Like, the, a bugle's not going to stop them. No, but he just thought, yeah, you're yeah, right. The bugle's not going to make them all be like, oh, wait a minute. We acted badly. He went to Thornton's room, but no one was there, and rocks were being thrown at Thornton's windows by giggling men. <laughs> giggling? <laughs> Leaving Thornton's room, Hitchcock came up against another man whom he ordered to halt, but the cadet instead raised a club against Hitchcock. Okay. There was a brief struggle before the cadet dashed off. Another man Hitchcock encountered just stood there until Hitchcock moved on. (laughs) Awkward. I love those guys. Yeah. The Uh, ones where he's just like, "Mm, I think it's just better if I just walk by this one. He he then arrested Hamilton for a third time that night when he was caught in the hallways. <laughs> well, maybe it's time to switch tactics. <laughs> Hitchcock saw Cadet Overton and ordered him to get the calm here, meaning com- Commandant Worth. A bunch of drunk cadets overheard this as get the bombardiers, the hated artillery men. I'm s- okay, wait. So he he wanted the commandeer, and what did they think so they were going to do now? he said, get the calm here, and they thought he said, get the bombardier. And that means kill? That means that these artillery guys that they hate are coming. Oh, Jesus. 
Oh, shit. So, <laughs> They're like, motherfucker, no way. So Stalker loaded his pistol with gunpowder uh, uh, and no balls, firing it several times. He ordered men to fortify the North Barracks against the oncoming attack from the bombardiers. Oh, my God. They're so drunk. <laughs> They're so drunk. Murdoch heard the rumor and awaited the invasion. He stood at the... <laughs> invasion? He asked for a guy. <laughs> he stood at the entrance to the barracks and asked each cadet passing, are you a bombardier or a gentleman? <laughs> well, what the fuck? I mean, what, what sort of... This is like... It's almost like they don't. They some of them haven't heard about lying yet. Yeah. They're not uh, good. Gentlemen, well, your story checks out. <laughs> Come on in. Fitzgerald, his hand now cut and bleeding by the window panes he has sliced with his sword. <laughs> good move. Made his way to room eleven in the south barracks. There he rallied men to join the fight against the bombardiers. Before he fell asleep on his bloodied forearms. Alrighty. Our leader, everyone. <laughs> Our fearless leader. Let's go get him right now. We're going to kill the. Wait a minute. It's not. The hell's going on? Noggin, 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 noggin. I think he's saying noggin. Noggin, noggin. Hitchcock continued to try to restore order in the North Barracks, and he got into a fist fight with Cadet Walter Oti. It must be pretty fun. To fist fight a guy that drunk. Oh, my when God. When you're totally sober. I mean, so easy. You know what I mean? You're just yeah. kind of like, all right, you know what, motherfucker? This is over. Although you, he'd be the kind of guy you would punch and he'd be like, I didn't feel nothing. <laughs> Still, he'd be like, I will keep punching you until yeah. you feel something. <laughs> Thornton awoke on the stairway where he had been knocked out and oh, returned shit. to his room. Okay. Uh, Hitchcock greeted him in his room at uh, 5.45 a.m. By 6 o'clock... Other cadets who were not drinking also got involved in restoring order. At the same time, the main riders were attempting to recruit other cadets, but having little success. Well, it's also at 6 a.m. Yeah, and tr like <laughs> a drunken recruit to a sober person. So I'm just telling you, this is the way. It's like, uh, no, you're really just, fucked up. Just getting started. It's more nog. No, 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 no more, no, no, no more knock for you guys. Fitzy has a sword. No more, no, Fitzy shouldn't have a sword. His hand this is cut open. He's fighting the window. No, 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 no. You guys, no more knock, guys. That's our fife, you hear it? Yeah, no, no, guys. Got fife. Guys, got, guys, Fitzy's got a sword. No, Fitzy's hand, Fitzy's got, really badly gun, wounded. Got gun. No, I know, you shouldn't be using those, though. No, but let's get going. No, 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 come on, no more knock. Come on, Barry. No, no more, no. All right, one knock. <laughs> Finally, daylight broke, and the real morning bugle was sounded. Commandant William Worth had, by this point, come to put an end to the chaos. Just his presence ended the mayhem. Oh, boy. Party's over. Worth saw men strewn on stairways and leaning on, raili on railings. Glass was, smashed glass was everywhere. The men gathered in assembly area at around 7 a.m., Oh, man, so uncomfortable. All the men from the South Barracks, completely sober, woke shocked to find such a scene of destruction. Windows have been smashed along with the building's furniture. Banisters have been ripped from stairways, thrown down with other rubble. Shards of shattered plates, dishes, and cups were on the ground. Meanwhile, the North Barrack cadets stumbled out of the barracks, closed torn. Many were barefoot, swearing, threatening academy officials, and obviously still very drunk. Jesus Christ. It's coming out with no shoes and a torn shirt. Oh, fuck you, motherfucker. Hey, fuck, fuck my dick, Lieutenant. Sit Does that down, make sense? son. Sit down. Oh, fuck you, shitbag face. I traded my shoes for rum. Sound the fife! Jesus Christ. 
Uh, some men remained in the rooms and continued drinking. What? But, Man, those guys, legends, yeah, champions. Legends. Champions. Behind the cadets who attempted to line up in a parade formation, West Point's North Barracks stood in a state of near ruin. Two cadets were hugging and crying and laughing. An ever-increasing group of men were ignoring roll call or answering yes to every name called. Yep. <laughs> Present. To, to their huge delight. Present. Monroe. Here. Jenkins. Here. Smith. Here. <laughs> <laughs> Hamilton boasted of his drum playing. <laughs> Well, it's time for Hamilton to shut the fuck up. I'm really good at this. Alone, just like, I'm really good at the drum. I'm one of the best at the drum. He's telling me drummer, Drummelton. I call the Hamilton. Hamilton. Oh, boy. I think I'm going to puke in the five. Some still cried out that the bombardiers were coming. <laughs> this is just chaos. Men smashed windows on their way to roll call. So, so, so a guy hears the roll call horn and he's just walking there, yeah. throwing rocks at windows just, as he goes. It's an either or. <laughs> keep rioting or go to roll call. The officers just stood there taking notes. Roll okay. call was finally abandoned due to chaos. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, during breakfast, fights continued to break out in the mess hall. What? How is... I mean, how are they not getting it a little under... How is, like, breakfast happening? I think they're so hammered they can't, and there's so many of them. They're just like, okay, just let them go until they peter Oh, out. so they are just like... What, what, what yeah, they're just out. watching. They're just okay. watching and taking notes at this okay. point. <laughs> After breakfast, they went to chapel for a two-hour service. Well, I'm sure that that was very, very religious. 22 cadets were then placed under house arrest until further notice. Among them was Jefferson Davis, who had been reported as one of the criminals by Hitchcock and Thornton. About a third of the cadets, approximately 100 men, had been involved in what would come to be known as the Eggnog Riot. Wow. Finally, the craziest riot name ever. Uh, Yep. An inquiry was open. After almost a month of investigation, the decision was made to court-martial 19 cadets for their conduct on Christmas Eve. Indicting too many men would have reflected poorly on the Academy by reinforcing its old image of a place of anarchy. Thayer chose to deal with only the most aggressive offenders. The inquiry included testimony from 167 witnesses. Holy shit. The gentlemanly code of honor among the cadets and what they saw as their moral obligation to tell the truth meant that thousands of pages of transcriptions of the accounts of men had been collected. By March 8, 11 cadets found that they no longer were allowed to wear the gray and were dismissed from West Point. These were the ones who had smuggled the whiskey, the cadets who incited the riots, and several others. Those expelled included Fitzgerald, Guion, and Stalker. The uh, eight cadets were given, eight other cadets were given a reprieve, including Mad Billy Murdoch, Private John Dugan, uh, the man who had taken the 35 cents at the river. <laughs> okay, the that guy's like, I'm really sorry. Uh, I mean, was, really, that guy was the seed. Yeah. He was sentenced to one month hard labor and uh, forfeited a whiskey ration for the same period. Okay. 
Thornton was assaulted with uh, a club in 1828 by a cadet, and that cadet was given the death penalty, which was later commuted. Thayer continued to strengthen West Point as an academic institution, leaving in 1833, having influenced other institutions, including Harvard and the U.S. Naval Academy. He died in 1872, having never married. His remains were buried at West Point. No charges were filed against Jefferson Davis. Turns out Jefferson Davis had missed almost everything. Instead of following his friends and resisting arrest, Davis stumbled back to his room, threw up, and passed out cold. It's a nice pass out right there. In his memoirs, Davis would claim that he didn't name names, but in fact records show that he implicated his roommate in the melee. When his roommate returned to their dorm, woke Davis up and loaded his gun. Man, that's interesting. Morning. Guys, what's going on? Good morning, just friend. Kidding, just getting this to take off. Hey. You're not getting name names, right? No, shut your mouth, Davey. <laughs> Davis graduated at the bottom of his class. All right. His time at the academy brewed a long-lasting hatred for Yankees. In 1861, he was inaugurated as the president of the Confederate States of America. What? He continued to love eggnog. Yeah, he was the Oh, that's the guy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so wait. Bottom of the class. Yep. Okay, cool. Yep, bottom of the class, total drunk idiot. Hey. President of the Confederacy. Come lead us in our normal beliefs. Hitchcock left and Came back to West Point as Commandant. He then left again and was promoted to Major in 1838. By 1842, he achieved the rank of Lieutenant Colonel in the 3rd Infantry Regiment. In command of Fort Stansbury, he served uh, in the Seminole War in Florida and in the uh, Mexican-American War, where he served as General Winford Scott's Inspector General in the March on Mexico City. He even uh, he he received a brevet promotion to colonel, which is like a you get it for exemplary actions in battle. Okay, uh, 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 for Contreras and to brigadier general for Molino del Rey. In October 1855, he resigned from the army following a refusal by Secretary of War Jefferson Davis to extend a four-month leave of absence that he hmm. had requested for reasons of health. Interesting. Yeah. How about that? Funny how that worked out. Hey, you remember the eggnog, right, motherfucker? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, who's my bitch? No, I was just going to, I wanted to say, you who's know, who's my bitch? I'm your bitch. And, mm-hmm. yep. And yep. I love So it. you can't have what you want. What'd you, what'd you ask, me, ask me for something? Ask me for something. I'm your boss. Ask me. Will you forgive me? For, nope. Can I use a pencil? Nope. Go ahead. Can I, you want something else? Is there any way to get a buckwheat? Nope. Any whiskey? Nope. Can I kiss you? Nope. Kiss me? Nope. Kiss each other. Do you see how this is working? Yeah, not well. Okay. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> these days, not many current cadets at West Point know about the eggnog, eggnog riot. Yeah, I'm sure. They're like, uh, yeah, mm-hmm, nothing. None of the buildings from the eggnog riot remain on West Point's present-day campus, but the riots did have a lasting impact on the campus's architecture. In the 1840s, when new barracks were built, they included short hallways that required cadets to exit the building entirely in order to access another floor. This this built-in crowd control made it harder for cadets to get out of hand and gather in large numbers. Wow. West Point no longer has a grand holiday celebration. (laughs) Why? And where there are parties, access to alcohol is extremely limited, so the odds of rowdy cadets drinking too much of the good stuff remains the stuff of legend. Holy shit. That's something, huh? Yeah. 
Yeah. An eggnog-fueled West Point riot? Yeah. Yeah, that's something. I mean... It's probably easy to tear those buildings down, though, after the kids got involved. Yeah. Probably like, man, it's not much. The foundation just needs to be stripped. That should be a movie. Oh, God. Are you kidding me? Yeah. (laughs) It's nuts. It's like... Fucking incredible. Yeah. It's Animal House on Eggnog with West Point. It really is. Yeah. Even down to the 0.0. Jesus. God bless America. Yeah, I mean, um, hey, you know what I mean? Yeah. God bless this mess. Hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, This is Gareth. Yes, the same guy. Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it, but either way, fun. Half Hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help. Oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this uh, this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army. To join me for, I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow, September 13th, London, September 15th, Dublin, September 17th, and September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham, September 20th. Bristol, September 22nd, and Cardiff, September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th. Adelaide, November 16th. Canberra, November 17th. Brisbane, November 18th. And then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it after it let's see you there